This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to start reading from verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I want to speak to you this morning on something I've titled, New Creation is Ready to Happen. New Creation is Ready to Happen. It's always interesting to me because nobody knows what I'm going to speak on this day. On Sundays, sometimes not even me, I kind of get up on Sunday morning and things veer off in a different direction. So it's always interesting for me to see what God's doing and how he's working. But the, the importance of the miraculous is so significant to who we are as the body. Um, and I want to touch on that this morning and talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> um, what are you expecting from God? Do you have any expectation of Him? Are you looking for Him to do something in your life? As we journey through life, what I've come to realize is that the relationship that we have with God becomes so important and becomes the crux of everything. And unless we're able to grasp and walk into a reality as to what relationship really means, and unless it becomes a dimension that's real to us, it's very difficult for us to walk into an experiential reality of the Christian life. Sometimes what ends up happening is... As human beings, our nature is innately to give definition to something because if I can define it, if I can give it structure, if I can give it form, it'll introduce me to the ability to be able to bring it to pass. <coughs> and so, excuse me. And so we, we have education, and education is good because in many ways what it does is it, it feeds our knowledge base and it equips us and gives us what we need to be able to do some stuff. And when you're sitting in a place and you have a math teacher talking to you about the importance of uh, <clears throat> algebra and, and equations, and he's talking to you about the, the fact that you can take something called a number, three plus two, and it'll equal five. He's given you a formula that you can take and apply for the rest of your life. There's no variable to it. It doesn't change. It's not subject to opinion. It is what it is. Three and two is five. It's a formula that we can take and we can apply. Chemistry is a formula in many ways. Give me two hydrogen molecules and an oxygen molecule, and I'll give you water. It's, it, it's good and it's reassuring in certain ways because what it does is it gives us a paradigm within which we're able to get some construct so that we can do some stuff. We can take some stuff and we can apply that. <clears throat> the difficulty with it is, is that it doesn't work that way in the context of the kingdom because the kingdom is not a formula. The kingdom is a relationship. Relationships are tricky. Relationships are difficult because as human beings, we always want to give a definition. We always want to pull it into a paradigm and give it structure. 
We always want to get it to a place where we can understand it and synthesize it and so we can walk it out because I know how it works. But relationships are not like that. Relationships are based on intangibles that are weighty, that are significant, that are... (coughs) The good Lord. Please help me, somebody. (coughs) Don't know what's going on here. I was fine this morning. I still am, I'm fine. Thank you, Kevin. <clears throat> we always want to take it down and put it in some place, but it doesn't work that way. All you have to do is have a look at the relationships in your life, whether it be a wife or a husband or a child or a, somebody at the office. It's not easy to always confine it and sit and say, this is the way that it works. Because we're dealing with things that, that are, are difficult to grab a hold of and to give definition to. Concepts like trust. Confidence. Influence. They're not easy to take and put it into a a, a tight definition and sit and say, this is what life is going to be like. And so it becomes interesting for us because in many respects, what ends up happening is a lot of people find themselves in a place in their Christian walk where they're a little bit disillusioned. Because I can't walk into the reality of where I should be. And I hear about God's promises and I hear about his provision. And I hear about what his design is for my life. And I'm ecstatic about the fact that he has a purpose for who I am. The problem with it is I'm finding it difficult to walk into that. I want to talk to that this morning. I want to talk to that this morning. If you're looking for a paradigm shift, if you're looking for an opportunity to step into a new dimension and a real dimension with God, I want to speak about that. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Jesus was the Word made flesh, and he dwelt among us. Jesus was the Word made flesh, and he dwelt among us. If we talk about Jesus being the Word, the thing is, we use words all the time. We have to use words because the thing about it is, very often if I'm sitting talking to Sarah and I want to know her ideas on it or her thoughts on it, I'm dependent on words. What I'm wanting her to do is take what is her thought processes, her ideas, her concepts, and convey it to me through something called a word. Word is the ability to take what's innately within me, which you can't grab a hold of unless I offer it to you through something called the word. It is a form of messaging. And so when Jesus became the word, Jesus basically became the message from God. What he said is God has dealt with us historically because God created nature. Nature speaks to the fact that there is a greater being. God worked through the prophets and he spoke through the prophets and because of the prophets, they spoke to the people. He dealt with people in history and he operated with people in history. And so he's done all of those things, but he said, really what I'm looking for is I'm looking for an opportunity for everybody to really have a full revelation of who I am. And I don't trust anybody to represent me other than myself. So I'm going to take who I am and I'm going to put who I am in fleshly form and I'm I'm going to go into the earthly paradigm, the place in which we live, so that everybody in that context can get an idea of who I am. I'm going to become the message. When Jesus became flesh, he became the message. What he said is, I'm here to represent the Father. Every time you see me, every time you watch what I'm doing, every time you hear something that I'm teaching or talking about, every time you see me bring transformation and change, what I'm doing is I'm representing the Father to you. What I'm saying is there is a paradigm for living and there is a way that God wants to introduce us to living which is different from where we are. And if you want to know what it is, I'm here to represent it to you. He was the Word made flesh. 
He was the message. He was the message. But it was interesting that he was the message because if we have a look at the life of Jesus, he comes to John and he is getting ready to be baptized. But in the context of that, we know very little about Jesus' upbringing. For the greater portion of his life, we know little bits and pieces, but we know very little about him. One thing we do know is that at the age of 12, he went with his parents to Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he went into the temple, he spent time there with people who were schooled, who were scholarly, who were priests, who were religious, who were educated, who were knowledgeable, people who understood everything about their concept of God. And it says in that paradigm, they were astonished at his knowledge and his answers. They were astonished at his knowledge and his answers. That's interesting to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, what they were astonished at was not the miraculous. There was no miraculous. There was no power. They were astonished at his understanding and his answers. But at that point in Jesus' life, there's no evidence of any power. It's interesting for us because as Christians, the fact of the matter is we always run into people who always are knowledgeable and have the answer. Have you ever run into them? Any situation that you're going through, it's funny, you can speak to some people and they've got the answer for you. They'll tell you what it should be and how it should be and how it should work and they'll give you scripture and verse and they'll give you everything that you need to know. They may be knowledgeable. They may have understanding. They may have all the answers. The fact of the matter is they're not God. But there's something innately dangerous about that place as well because all of us love it when people come to us and there is an element of esteem and recognition of significance. And it's very easy for us to fall into a place where our knowledge base and our answers give us, give us an esteemed position. We can live in that place. The fact of the matter is, it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with it, apart from the fact that there's no power. The challenge that he had was not that he didn't have a knowledge base, Not that he didn't have the answers, but there's just no evidence of the power. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 20 says the kingdom is not in word but in power. The kingdom is not in word but in power. So we almost must be, just excuse it, it's just rubbish. Because the kingdom, never mind, just ignore it. It's just the kingdom is not in word, it's in power. What he's saying is this be very careful. Don't exclude the word. The word is important. But don't live in the word. The word is designed to take you somewhere. The word is important because the word is to take you to a point of introducing you to power. Ultimately, the definition of what the kingdom is all about is power based. It becomes important for us because it gets back to our natural disposition as people. Words are easy. Why? Because words are so accessible to us. Pick up the Bible and read it. When you read it, words become accessible. And when I'm reading the word, what I find is all of a sudden I become knowledgeable. And when I become knowledgeable, if people say, well, what does God think about this? I've got an answer for you. I become knowledgeable and I have all the answers. But do I have the power? 
The biggest challenge that we have in the body is not knowledge, it's not answers, it's power. And so if I'm really honest with myself, I'm speaking, I, I can preach to myself this morning, how about that? So nobody can be offended, I'm speaking to me. But if I'm really honest with myself, I can't sit and say that I'm reflecting the kingdom if all I have is understanding and answers. Because what he's saying is the kingdom is not in understanding and answers. The kingdom is in power. God is bringing back the power. It never left. But we just kind of run off at a a bit of a detour. And he's sitting saying, okay, come, let's get back to where we are. We've got to get back to the power. The thing is, word is accessible. The challenge with power is that it's relational. If you want to touch the power, what's your relationship like? That's where it gets sticky. Because I don't mind investing time in something like getting the word and knowledge about the word. I don't mind investing time in having all the answers. But I'm not always all that comfortable in the realm of relationship. But that becomes the crux of power. Being able to connect with him. I don't have the power. He does. So the thing is, I have to be able to come to a place where I can develop a relationship and intimacy with him so that I can understand where he is, what he's all about, and how he's working so that I can partner with him and I can move forward with him. It introduces us to a whole idea of obedience. We always hate stuff like that. Speak to me about prosperity and blessing and overcoming and victory. and Don't speak to me about. But obedience, I want to give you an idea and a context for obedience that may change your mind. Obedience is the, the expectation of a heart that's living in pursuit of newness. Obedience is the expectation of a heart that is living in pursuit of newness. What it's saying is, I know you've got something more for me. And I'm not happy where I was right now. I want to connect with you. I want you to speak into my life. I want to hear your words. I want to hear your invitation. Because I want to change where I am right now so I can partner with you. And so we can move into something else. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Do you know what it really means? Obedience is an act of love. Obedience is an act of love. What it says is, Father, I know a lot about you, and I might have all the answers to all the questions, but the thing about it is I want you to become real to me. I want you to become alive on the inside of me so that it becomes transformational. So I'm not the person that I used to be and I don't live how I used to live. But I can't do that by myself. I've got to do it with you. I'm here to partner with you. My heart's desire is to move to a place where I want to be introduced to power. Obedience is the pathway to power. If you can hear him, and you will listen to his voice. He will introduce you to what he's wanting to do in your life. And when you partner with him, what you will find is things start to happen. Come 
Paul said, the desire of my heart is to know him and the power of his resurrection. My desire, what drives me, is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Knowing him is not talking about knowledge. What he's saying is, I recognized understanding. I recognized having all the answers. Being there, done that. But I'm at a place right now where I'm changed. I want to know him. I want who he is and what he's all about to transform who I am. And it's only through the power of the resurrection and who he is that I can move into that space. I can't do it. I've had the answers. I've had the understanding. It never got me there. He wants to do something in us. And it's through an introduction of relationship that he's going to do that. I think everybody should work out as they get old. Actually, they should do it their whole life. It's not scriptural. It's just a personal belief. I'll tell you why. Because you've been given the body. Steward it well. If you neglect it, till you get later in life, Often it's really hard to wake up and be like, oh, let's get back on track. So I'm, I'm gunning for when I hit Patrick's age. <clears throat> I'm getting ready. <laughs> the point about it is this. Jim is interesting. Because the thing is that very often, if we've never really been to the gym before, we don't know terribly much about it. And so you have to get somebody at the gym who can help you out a little bit. And so when you meet with that person, what they do is they come in and they start to train you and they start to teach you. If you're really interested in doing a little bit of a workout and getting your body together in single file, you do a little bit of research. You do a little bit of exploration. And what happens is over time, you start to build up a knowledge about the human body and how it functions and how it works and what diet begins to change it and help it and what things are really nice, but they're really not that good. And you begin to understand what makes the muscles move and work and form and grow and move. And then we begin to understand what exercises are and how they're varieties and how we have different um, sets and different reps. And we're learning all of this stuff. And if you speak to lots of people, especially people who have been in the gym world for extensive periods of time, whether they're actively in it now or not, what they'll tell you is this. They can tell you everything about the body, everything about growth, everything about development, everything about fitness, everything about diet, everything about machines, everything about working out, everything about the different options that are available. They will tell you everything. But you know what it comes down to at the end of everything? Jim is not in word but in power. You can understand it. And you can have all the answers. But you see, Jimmy's not in word. It's in power. It's not about understanding and knowing the message. It's about becoming the message. The kingdom is not in word. It's in power. It's not about understanding the message. It's about becoming the message. I cannot do that. I'm so dependent on him to be able to do it. It's the same for so many principles in life. If you want to diet, you can know everything. But the truth of the matter, diet is not in word but in power. Can you become it? People want to get into self-help stuff. Self-help is not in word but in power. What did you do? 
It doesn't matter if you know everything that makes everything work as successfully as can be. What did you do? Did you become that? It's not in word. It's in power. Jesus says in John 5 verse 39 and 40, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are those that preach of me and testify of me. But you do not come to me that you may have life. What he's saying is this, you need the word. The word's important because when you get the word, the word begins to lay out the landscape of what things look like. It begins to seed within me expectations. I begin to see life from God's perspective. I understand what his opportunities are. I, introduce, I, I begin to understand what his paradigm and his perspective is on things. The word becomes really important. The thing about it is the seed that's of life that's in the word it really needs to be something, become something that becomes evident in my life. <clears throat> the challenge with so many people is that we get the word and we start out on this journey. And we begin to populate our life with the word. The word is not inherently bad, but the word is the journey. The journey is not the destination. Don't spend your life in the journey. Each journey should culminate in a destination. The destination is, have I become the message? Did I become that? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to fulfill it. He's always inviting us back into partnership. He's always inviting us back into the intimacy of relationship. And what he's saying is, don't walk out life through what you know and through your answers. Walk out life in intimacy with me. When you know how much I love you, when you understand how important you are to me, and you begin to start moving in that direction, when you set aside time to spend with me, what you'll find is that suddenly things will begin to open, and I'll start to notice promptings things that he's putting in my life. I never, knew, I never used to recognize that before. And I begin to identify him as doing something in my life. He's beginning to put some stuff on the inside of me. He's putting out some feelers and he's sitting saying, come, let's develop this. Let's grow in the space. Jesus comes and as Jesus The word made flesh. He is Christ who is amongst us. Christ who is amongst us. The disciples spent three and a half years with Christ who is amongst us. Emmanuel. God with us. They saw the message. They heard the message. They saw the miraculous take place. They saw people. This is not like, you know, in the grand scheme of God's economy, you kind of have levels of things, you know. Somebody gets healed from from a cold is not the same as somebody gets like risen from the dead. Like that's a big one. You know what I mean? They saw people risen from the dead. They sat with him in places where he taught them. This is Jesus. 
if you think I do a good job, you should check him out. (laughs) This is Jesus. Not only that, but they had one-on-one time with him. Jesus and me getting personal. Sat with him and said, you know what, really we had no clue what you were talking about out there. Can you please explain this to us? What did he do? He took the time to explain it to them, to work with them, one-on-one. And you know what was so strange and what's so peculiar? At the end of three and a half years, almost none of them had changed at all. Wow. Wow. Because they knew it all. And if you were to go and approach them, they'd have answers for you. But if you turn to John chapter 5, I think it's John chapter 5. Sorry, John 16 verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. What he's saying is this. Emmanuel, God with us, is not going to be able to introduce us to new creation realities and transformation. Christ, who was with us, had to go away so that Christ, who is in us, could come and replace him. You see, everything that God wants to do in your life is as a result of him being on the inside of you. He couldn't change you from the outside. I've got to get inside of who you are. I've got to have access to who you are. It's not Christ outside of who I am that can do anything in my life. It's Christ inside of me that brings about change and transformation. That's why understanding and answers do nothing. Because it's all outside. But when you get revelation, when you touch relationship, you're touching him who is on the inside of you, and he can do some stuff on the inside of you and bring about change and transformation in your life in ways that everything outside of you can never do. Jesus comes up out of the water. And as he comes up out of of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. The Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was present. The Holy Spirit was waiting. And when the moment was right, the Holy Spirit descended. It reminds us of Genesis chapter 1. It speaks about the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. He was waiting. Waiting for the word. He was waiting for the word. Waiting. Because when the word came, new life was about to begin. When Jesus flooded the earth, when, Jesus, when God flooded the earth, and Noah was in the ark, and he was out and he's sailing. And all you can see all around you is water. What did he do? He sent out a dove. He said, send out the dove. And he waited until the dove came back and it had an olive branch. And when it had an olive branch, the message was, it's time for new creation. I want you to know something. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, what he comes in with is the promise it's time for new creation. It's time for new creation. 
Jesus, the word made flesh and dwelt among us. The message. But when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he became Jesus, the Christ. (coughs) He was Jesus, the living word. But he became Jesus, the anointed word. Things changed from that moment onwards. And where he used to be at 12 years old going into the temple and astonishing them with his words and his wisdom, his understanding and his answers, he got to a place where he went back into the temple and in Mark chapter 4 and verse 18, it says, sorry, Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set those who are, to set free those who are oppressed. Do you know what he was saying? Today in your sight the scripture is fulfilled. I came to you before to give you truth. Now I'm back in your midst to tell you I'm here with the anointing to give you life. Truth is one thing. Life is another. Truth is what you can walk into without the anointing. Life is what you walk into with the anointing. What changed Jesus from that point onward is that he became the Christ, the anointed one. And from that point on, what ended up happening was his life was characterized by the miraculous, by the supernatural. Because the Holy Spirit had come into play. In that space. In John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus is, is talking to Nicodemus and he says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes on in verse 5 to say, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's talking about entering the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. The birth experience that he's talking about is one birth experience. He's talking about being born into the kingdom of God. And he's saying in order to be born into the kingdom of God, you have to be born of the water and born of the spirit. Some people have taken that to mean, okay, well, born of the water is when you're born physically. It's not actually. He's not talking about a natural birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth. And he's saying, if you want to enter the kingdom, if you want to be born again, you have to be born of the water and born of the spirit. So where in the Old Testament does it talk about the creation of new life in the context of water and spirit? Ezekiel, chapter 36, I think. 36, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to fill my laws. What he's talking about there is he's making a prophecy to Ezekiel. And what he's saying to Ezekiel is, the day is coming where spirit and water are going to do something. The day is coming when spirit and water are going to come into operation together and it's going to bring about new creation. 
when he's talking about the water, what he's talking about is something which cleanses. Something which gets rid of impurities. What he's saying to Nicodemus is this. Wake up, Nicodemus. You're looking at the Savior. What he's saying is, I am the water that came to cleanse everybody. I will pay the price for the sin of mankind because the water is going to cleanse everybody. And when the water has cleansed everybody, the Spirit will bring about transformation on the inside of you and make you a new person. You need the Word and you need the Spirit. You need the water and you need the Spirit. We have to have both of those things to be able to walk into newness of life. Jesus confirms it because in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26 it talks about that Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. We need the word and we need the spirit. Both of them have to come together. Both of them have to work together to do something. Jesus comes up out of the water and you hear a voice that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Interesting. What Jesus' lifestyle represented to the father was pleasing to him. What I'm proposing to you is this. It sets in motion a concept or a principle for how God operates. And what he's saying is, when we take and pattern our life after heaven, what ends up happening is, we create a space within which he's able to take the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit moves into that paradigm. Jesus said, I do nothing of myself. I only do what I see the Father do. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm living in, a, in close proximity and close relationship with the Father. So every time I have a circumstance or a situation that I'm dealing with, I go to the Father and I sit and say to him, talk to me about what's happening here. Speak to me about what it is that you see. Show me your plans and your purposes and let me walk into that. It's how I marry myself to God. And what ends up happening as a result of that, I begin to create a space in which his presence is able to come and fill. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, another example of this is when Jesus, uh, when God used to work in the Old Testament, he was working with Moses. And he was speaking to Moses about the fact that he wanted Moses to form a tabernacle. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, it says... Somewhere. 8 verse 5, I think. I know, I can't even find Hebrews. Good grief. I know you have, but I'm sure I've got it in my notes somewhere. (laughs) Who serves the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. We think God is specific about things. He is. 
When he spoke to, Mo- to Moses on the mountain, what he said to him is, if you go and read about it and you, you see how specific God was, when it came to the construction of the temple, he got down to every little detail as to what that needed to look like. He communicated to Moses what his heavenly pattern was, and Moses was to take that and replicate that in the earthly realm. And when Moses did that, according to a heavenly pattern, what ended up happening was God's glory then filled that space. God's glory filled that space. It's the same thing as what Jesus was saying. I only do the things I see the Father do. What he was saying was, I'm getting in that, into that space where I want to find out what God wants to do. Because when I find out what the, Holy, what the Father wants to do, and I'm able to pattern my life after it, what happens is I create a space after his design, and what he does is he fulfills his word in that place. That's what Rhema is all about. It's hearing the word of God in a circumstance and in a situation. <clears throat> the challenge that we have very often is that when we're people who live out of understanding and answers, all we want to do when we face a problem is we want to throw scripture at it. It is written by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed, and I thank you, Father, that you've paid the price. And we blah, 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 blah. I've got understanding, I've got answers, but I don't have power. It's not enough to have the word without the spirit. I've got to have the Word and the Spirit. Because when you have the Word and the Spirit, what ends up happening is it's, it's great to have the Word. It's essential to have the Word because it lays the landscape. But it's in that context that I go to God and I sit and say, I know that you're the great healer. Speak to me right now about what I'm going through in the circumstance and situation. Tell me how it is that I'm to partner with you. Show me your plans and purposes. And when I understand what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing and I begin to take that and work with the Holy Spirit, what ends up happening is he comes into that space out of obedience and the spirit comes in and brings about change I can't run off and do my own thing give me if you turn over the page um, and you get to Matthew chapter 4 it speaks about the fact that Jesus having being baptized, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing that happened with him is that he gets led off into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he gets tempted by the devil. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to know something. The day that you got born again, the day that the very Spirit of God came and dwelt on the inside of you, do you know what he said? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's loved you for all of generation, but he loves the fact that you've been able to recognize that and reciprocate and sit and say, Father, you know what? I see what it is that you have for me and I open myself up to you. Come into that space. You are a son. It's a position. The thing about it is your sonship is going to be tested your sonship is going to be tested. When, say, when Jesus walked off into the wilderness, the devil came to him, and what did he say? The very first words that came out of his mouth was, if you are the son of God, 
I want you to know something. When you have the life of God on the inside of you, you've become a son of God. And part of what the son is going to do is the son is going to grow into who Christ is. That is my destiny. That's who I'm to become. I'm to become conformed to his image. But as the son of God, I want you to know something. As you go out into the world, the world is going to raise a banner and sit and say, if you are the son of God... What is established on the inside of you? Because there's going to be a demand placed on it. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, it is written. What did he say? What he was really saying is, I am the word made flesh. And so when you come up against me, what has defined who I am and what I'm all about is the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. And that newness and that, the, the faith that's established on the inside of me that you're coming up against, you're coming up against more than you can bargain for. <clears throat> it's become so important for us to understand the value of being able to partner with God. We spoke last week about how God's wanting to build our life from the framework of who he is. Yesterday, <clears throat> the boys and I went to go and watch a football game <clears throat> in Blacksburg. So before we went, we started speaking about it. <clears throat> So they knew it was coming up this Saturday. And so because of that, what ended up happening was they started thinking about it. Dad said to us that we're going to the football game on Saturday. So earlier in the week, they start planning. What are we going to wear? Because we've got to make sure that we've got good hokey outfits. (laughs) What are they doing? They heard the word, but they're starting to frame their life around what the word is going to look like. They're starting to get ready in anticipation of what's going to happen. Well, you've got to make sure that, you know, Colton, you and I are going to have to get to bed early on Friday night because we're going to have to get up early because we've got to drive three and a half hours to get there. What are they doing? They're framing their life in anticipation of what's going to be happening. Are we going to take snacks with us? Who's going to take snacks? What snacks are we going to take? You take this and I'll take that and I'll get the water. I'm framing my life in anticipation of what's going to happen. Because the time comes on Saturday morning when at quarter to eight, they're up and about and ready to go. Why? Because the framing has been done. And it's like, Dad, you promised us that we were going down to the football game. Where are you? When you live in relationship with God and you can hear his voice. As he begins to speak to you, you start to frame your life. I want you to know something. I've got plans and purposes for you. Sometimes we've got into life, sometimes we've just made dumb decisions. We just want the best. Created an issue. He loves you. He's not going to leave you there. Sometimes life overwhelms us with some stuff. And it's like, where did that come from? He loves you. He's going to work with you. The point about it is this. Don't always live in the expectation that it's going to be a magic wand and I'm going to be translated from today into tomorrow and things are going to be different. It may work differently. I'm not saying he's not going to be with you. But the thing is, sometimes we have to navigate some pathways. 
what, I'm, or what am I doing? I'm walking it out with him. And so I'm allowing him to speak into my life. And every time he tells me something, I'm living in anticipation of that. I'm beginning to frame my life and my expectations in terms of what he's telling me. Why? Because I'm forming a tabernacle. I'm forming a space on earth as it is in heaven. Because when that space is ready, what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit comes in and hits that place. And all of a sudden it's like, I'm not where I used to be. Amen. Not because I did it. But because I discovered relationship and I know what it is to live out of that space and walk out of that space and live in a place where I'm sitting saying, you know what, I trust him. It's so important for us to get the word. Because it'll get you excited and enthused and show you God's plans and purposes. It'll show you his design. It'll introduce you to who he is and create opportunities for invitation. The word is fundamental. Don't live there. It's part of the journey. It's not the destination. Every word you get from him should ultimately lead us to a point of encounter where that becomes a reality in my life. Journey with him. Don't worry about what he does in other people's lives and how he does it. This is your walk. That's a good place to be. Let him give you direction. You trust him. And everything that he asks you to do, you're framing your future and what that future is going to look like according to him. I live in a place of love expressed. Love in action. Obedience. Can we all stand, please? One of the most important things that you can do is you need to have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. You need to be back. Well, you get it when you get born again, but I'm talking about a baptism in the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, it's important that you become baptized in it. Because when... Go and wait in the upper room until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, what ends up happening is there's an endowment power. It's really important that if you haven't been baptized in the Spirit, that you get baptized. I cannot encourage you in that more. So, as we, as we leave here shortly, if you're one of those people and you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you, come forward. Let people pray for you so that you can have that. It'll change your life with God. It'll put you in a totally different paradigm. Father, I just want to thank you for your goodness. Jesus, I want to thank you that you're the Word made flesh. I thank you for the message that you brought for us so that you showed us who the Father was. You introduced us to his design and his purposes and what he's all about. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, for your love for each one of us. And I want to thank you that as we get into the word of God, I want to thank you that you use that word to reveal to us and to show to us who the Father is. I want to thank you, Father, that those are stepping stones to walk into an encounter, a place where we can get to, where we realize and experience you in our lives. I thank you that we're not people who are simply characterized 
by knowledge and answers. But our lives are characterized by power. I thank you for changing us. I thank you for what you're doing in each person's life here. I pray for a week full of encounters for everyone. Holy Spirit, rattle our cages. Introduce us to some aspects of newness where perhaps we haven't been before. Don't let us get comfortable and don't let us get stagnant, amen, where we've been. In Jesus' name.